Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Welcome to it. <clears throat> You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. The album of the day is Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. The album, it, it fell in my lap. It's the benefit of, I guess, working at a radio station. And it is so good, folks. Came out in 91. Check it out. This song is Funky Monks. But let's get to it tonight. Enough of me just talking about my self-involved music taste. We're going back to phone interviews. I know I've been doing a lot of studio interviews, but I wanted to reach out with some people that have been guests on the show before and just so happened on a friendly Facebook argument uh, that I got talking to Brittany Hunter again. She's the associate editor over at the Foundation for Economic Education. So, Brittany, how are you this evening? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Now, you... you came down with a fever earlier today so you've just I have been... a little bit of a flu yeah <laughs> oh i'm sorry i've had both at the new year's eve i spent in bed and that was the Ooh. stomach one and then uh two weeks after that i got the upper respiratory flu and it was yikes <laughs> what that gave me a lot of opportunity to just sit and watch jordan peterson lectures uh oh, wonderful <laughs> so it worked out and it's it drives me nuts sometimes when i'm on this kick of I'm trying to get my life in order and do several shows and you know make a little money here or there as much as you can in the radio business. And then my first sick day in six years hits me like, ah, oh, like a dragon from the deep eating me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, but thank you for being a good sport and coming on tonight, for, uh, even though you're feeling a little under the weather. But uh, yeah, I mentioned that uh, a mutual friend of ours shared an article uh, there was an interesting study about how men claim they want a partner, a woman who is more intelligent than they are. But when it comes to actually picking somebody, they go the other direction. And I wonder, what is your experience in, what did you think when you read that article and saw that study? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> my life is that experience. And I, I hate talking about this because I also hate saying, like, I'm so intelligent. Here I am. I am such an intelligent woman. Right. But I'm not dumb. <laughs> I'm not, I'll admit that. But I, I think what happens is, in the beginning, when you're, I guess, what you would call courting or dating, um, I think men are very intrigued by an intelligent woman, especially somebody who's got their career, you know, they've got a hold on their career. They know what they want. They're successful. And that's really exciting because you think, oh, my goodness, you know, here's this this woman and if she's beautiful you have looks and then you have intelligence but then when it comes down to the day-to-day -day, i think that it's <laughs> the fantasy of it wears off and i think because the reason that happens is because intelligent people are not necessarily easygoing in the way someone else might be right mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of layers we want to sit we want to have long conversations we want to analyze everything we want to get in depth on everything and that can be exhausting 
um, personal experience, I've had probably almost every relationship end because of that. It was either a little envy or jealousy um, of that, of, of my career being in a better place or just just that intimidation of this is too much. I'd rather have a girl that just wants to sit and fawn over me and tell me how great I am. Oh, and so man. personally, I have had that happen a lot. So, wow. yeah, that article really rang true for me. Well, and and for me, maybe I'm I, I should have just been part of the study to see if I actually do like women smarter than I am, or if I'm just a basic bro like everybody else. <laughs> um, but I, in my experience, I get uh, bored easily. I don't like abusive mm. praise, and maybe it's me being uh, arrogant. So I assume somebody is is not as smart as I am, and I there's a rude awakening. But no, generally I I I don't like small talk. I jump into the deep end with all sorts of topics, and I don't know. But I I'm not sure. I need to be part of the study. Uh, but also there's a thing that came up. I, I talked about this a little bit last night with my guests. Uh, that there's different types of intelligence or different types of talents. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and when they mesh, that's where the magic happens. I think that's. I think you hit it on the head. And I also think, like, I think as far as the article goes, uh, my my boss, who's the the content, the main content editor at B, um, calls it being a knowledge worker, and I love that term. Hmm. So I guess when we when I use the word like intelligence, that's what I'm thinking of, right? Someone that works in academia, someone who's working in that all the time, and so they are always analyzing. But I think you bring up a good point. Just because someone doesn't do that for a living doesn't mean that they're not intelligent in another area where where an academic might be lacking, you know? So it's, it's such a broad spectrum. Right, and there's, there's so much of uh, this, it's almost posturing in a power game. Um, and again, Jordan Peterson keeps coming to mind because he's influenced me a lot lately. Or in things I was thinking about for years that he has expressed uh, very eloquently. But the thing that's coming to mind is there's often this sparring contest of who can make feel somebody feel ashamed or who can show I'm better than you at this or that topic. Uh, whereas when I look at especially like academia, you need an interdisciplinary approach that people should be uh, listening to one another more often. And I think, in fact, in Peterson's new book, uh, 12 Rules, uh, that he that's one of the chapters that assume the yeah. person you're listening to is it has something to teach you. Know something you don't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Well, and I had um, a host of mine who's uh, helped me into the business uh, told me that a while ago. He said, treat every person you meet as a potential teacher. And uh, it's, I think, very sage advice. And including learning from, say, mistakes other people make. Um, like, don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't go down that yeah, blind exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I want to now get into the, the meat of this. Uh, you wrote a very a personal, it was uh, self-revealing, but not too much. Um, it really hit the high points. But I, I really want to just set it up for you. You're driving into Atlanta. You see the Atlanta skyline, and what happens? Oh, I broke down. <laughs> yeah, I started bawling. And uh, to be to be a little personal, um, so I had I was going through a divorce. Um, everything had gone wrong. I mean, everything you can imagine could go wrong went wrong in this move. Uh, the movers canceled on me, which made me miss my flight, and I couldn't rebook a flight. I went to rent a car and found out that my ex-husband had closed all the accounts, so I couldn't rent a car. It was just like, mm. it was one thing on top of another. And when I had finally figured all that out and I, I was driving from D.C. to Atlanta, I saw the skyline and I, I just lost it because I was thinking, 
I don't want to be doing this, you know, poor me, pity party, you know, how, why is this happening to me? Why is everyone doing this to me? And, and that can have a very negative impact on your quality of life. Well, it made you more socially isolated, would you say? And Oh, absolutely. Socially isolated and just constantly bitter. I mean, there were some, the first few months that I was in Atlanta were so full of just bitterness and resentment. And it doesn't mean that things didn't happen to me. There were terrible things that happened to me in the process. But one thing that I love that Jordan Peterson says is things happen to you. It doesn't matter whose fault it is because once it's happened, it's already happened. What are you going to do about it? And that really, really resonated with me because I couldn't change what happened. I couldn't change being in Atlanta, but I could change my attitude and I could change how I chose to react. And that was a huge awakening for me. Well, I think there are all sorts of people, reasons people get uh, resentful. Uh, in, in your case, I, I think a lot of people can relate to a, a, a divorce that doesn't go quite right. Amicable divorce just seems like an oxymoron. I yeah, I don't think that many. exists. Yeah, I, I haven't <laughs> heard of many. Uh, but th- there's all sorts of reasons people could maybe find themselves uh, resentful. And what steps did you take that sort of got you out of your funk? Yeah, um, meditation. In fact, I'm actually writing another pretty personal blog right now um, about the meditation process. I used to mercilessly tease people who meditated. (laughs) In fact, I frequently tell the story. I went on a date with a guy who wouldn't come in my apartment until he meditated. And so I opened my front door and he's sitting there cross-legged meditating. And I'm thinking like, (laughs) this guy is a weirdo. (laughs) What is this? And a few months after that happened, actually, um, I had... I had been talking to a boss of my or coworker who said he had been meditating and I kind of had an experience where it, it was where I was bitter and resentment as I talk or resentful as I talk about in my other article. And that's when I began meditating and I was filled with self-loathing. I'm like, Oh no, I've become one of these people. Um, and I didn't get results right away. I think people have a very uh, big misconception when it comes to meditation that you're going to meditate and feel great. Meditation did not start working for me until I had been doing it consistently for two months. But that's when I realized I was able to, the second I felt resentful or the second I felt that anger, I was able to take a step back and just really take it in. Um, Who is it? Viktor Frankl has a great quote, Mm. and I'm going to butcher it, but it's something to extend of between stimulus, what is it? Between stimulus and response, there's space. And in that space, there's clarity or something to that extent. And that really resonated with me. So that was kind of what got me on board with, with the whole, all right, I need to stop being bitter. And then finding Jordan B. Peterson was actually a huge part of this whole transformation as well. Well, and and Jordan Peterson, I think, represents a a big change that's happening. I think there are a lot of people from the left, the right, uh, from libertarian, whatever political ideological camp you want to point out, who are realizing why is the politics so resentful and so bitter? And why is now the politics sort of polluting culture why is it such a a a negative and cynical game which you know i think you and i who come from the libertarian space or the liberty space go well that's just how politics works but i I started to think well maybe some folks who remember the good old days uh, are saying something true and they say it never was this negative this over the top and what seems to be happening are a lot of folks uh, pursuing how can I improve the myself, the people around me? And this is, again, one of the uh, Jordan Peterson's chapters in 12 Rules for Life, uh, where before you 
uh, what is it? Get your own house in order or something, yes. right? Something like that. Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. That's right. Yeah, no, exactly. And what a powerful message, especially, like you said, coming from the Liberty space as well. This seems like a, a different form of the Ron Paul revolution that we experienced back in the day. Um, but this one's more internal, right? This is like an internal revolution of, okay, I'm not perfect. I said something really mean to my coworker. That what you know, kind of person does that make me? I need to be better to, to people in general. Or my house is a mess, right? I need to clean my room before I can attempt to clean the rest of the world. And that is a really powerful message. And I mean, clearly it is because Jordan B. Peterson is everywhere now. Yeah, and he's a lightning rod because he is reasonable. Um, I mean, sometimes he, like, I criticized him the other night, where, and very friendly, but, you know, he's talked about with, I think, it's the Lindsay Shepard uh, scenario or the situation that happened, where, you know, administrators are calling Peterson Hitler and, and whatnot, and, which is absurd. But then Peterson, I think, does have a tendency from all the stuff he's read uh, and from all the stuff he very much understands, like why you get concentration camps, why you get the gulag. Uh, that he, I think he was a bit quick. Though I, I, and I'm saying this even agreeing with him in a way. He's a bit quick to go, oh, this leads to Stalinist Russia if we continue yes, down this road. Yes. That's funny. That's, I, I don't critique him a lot. There are some things that I disagree with him on. Parenting is one of them. I'm not a parent, so I can't really put my you know hat in the ring there but I, I didn't really like that chapter but you bring up a good point um i think he is i don't want to say hypocritical because he's so important to me that i don't want to throw that term out right but i i did see an interview once where he compared someone to being a maoist so i was thinking like all right let's stop let's stop comparing each other to you know <laughs> on one side you have mal on the other side you have hitler right just leave out all those <laughs> right and, it, and it's something I, I wrote about a while ago where it's not the next hitler it's not the next stalin or or whatever it's it, we're not i think hopefully are not going to go back to the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century but i do worry that we might end up in say something like huxley's brave new world or what tocqueville called soft despotism where yeah. everybody's sort of being nudged and having the correct opinion and me being here on mostly conservative talk radio and i'm telling you conservatives listening now there is just as much political correctness on the right as the left you have to hold the correct opinions and if you disagree then you're branded something it it's not just a left-wing problem though it's I think wackier and exaggerated on the left. It's, it's identity politics. Yes. It's you play for our team and you use this, these, you know, words and these this language. And yeah, absolutely, it's it's rampant everywhere. I mean, it's even. I like to pretend that as libertarians, we're so pure, you know, <laughs> unscathed from the world, but we do it too. So it's it's everywhere. Well, and I I think I let um, my sort of brand of or my understanding of liberty lead me to being. In, incredibly cynical and then all sorts of tragic things that happened in my life things outside of my control completely uh just happened right in front of me and i'm sort of dealing with that i, I became the guy minkin talked about he said a cynic is somebody who upon seeing a flower arrangement looks for a coffin and <laughs> that's so me yeah. that's funny well and, and here's the thing there were coffins all around so i was like well i guess i'm gonna play that role but i, I realized um from in my own way that this is not a good i'm going down a very dark path if i continue yeah. uh to play into this cynicism if i am only reading political uh material online i need to branch out and for me my form of meditation 
I have to full disclosure real quick, Brittany. Uh, I I pulled up Headspace in a rush that app, and uh, it's it's a great app been suggested by a bunch of people to me. But as it started off with the beginners, like we're going to teach you how to meditate. For some reason, I went no, nah, no, ah, and like <laughs> threw it away. <laughs> uh, I totally understand. <laughs> but what I do to meditate in a way is uh, is music. I like vinyl records. I had a moment the other day, I talked about it on air uh, last week, where I put on the Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2 soundtrack on vinyl. And one of the songs on there is Cat Stevens' Father and Son. And when you actually sit and listen to lyrics, let the song take you over, and it's not just the lyrics, it's the way Cat Stevens builds his music... Um, it, I was struck with a major realization uh, in the sense that I haven't just lost a parent. I've also lost any semblance of my childhood home. And it's not mm. a despairing thought, but it's, again, one you have to face headlong. It's time to build a home, so to speak. Not a house I live in, not an apartment, but like an actual headspace and a, a, a place that I feel centered at. And it, it's a big uh, project. It's something I'm sharing with the audience. That's why what you're writing, your own journey... Uh, it's touched me a lot because it, it. I went, wow, okay, I see where she's coming from. Now, I've never been married. I've never been divorced, obviously, uh, because of never being married. But I can see how it changes your life, does it not, in the sense that you almost have to recreate yourself and be reborn. Oh, absolutely. And that's actually another thing I love that Derby Peterson says. He talks about just, just going back to other periods of his life and he's not that person anymore. And that's that's kind of how I feel is we each have these seasons of life, but it's such a beautiful thing. Even though there's there's trauma and there's pain and there's sadness, life is trauma, pain, and sadness. You know, it's, it's one thing after another. It's not going to stop coming at you. So if you can grow from that, then what a beautiful experience. Uh, well, you know, you can stand back and say, when the storm came, I stood there, and now I'm a changed person, but I really like how tough I've become or how... How you know how I'm more able to empathize with people now? So absolutely, yeah. Well, and I I I would wallow in that. Why? 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 Why is, is it? And I saw people worse off than I that would literally look up to the heavens and say why, and realize that's a dangerous place to be. And it's not the why of like why does cancer happen? Why does something break down? It's sort of that why that doesn't even want an answer. And I, I think that's a, a awful place to be again. And uh, it makes me smile, though, that there are answers being offered. And it also makes me smile when I see the critiques of, say, somebody like Jordan Peterson. They say, oh, he's just giving the old school, stern father figure advice. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I wanted to ask you this, because I'm sure you chuckle at, at some of these criticisms of him. It's like, aren't you crafting your message for men alone? Why do you only have 80% men? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that one gets me. But that's actually why I made that Facebook Live I made a few weeks ago, is I wanted to make sure people understood that his message was not for men alone. Now, if men are getting something out of this, awesome. I want everyone to be a better person, as many people as humanly possible. But I think there are so many women that are really resonating with what he has to say. And quite honestly, uh, the, the book club at my office is uh, for his book is actually primarily women. We hold the majority, and that was really cool for me to see. So I think I think people are starting to see that his advice is for everyone. It is not gender-specific. Well, and the irony of usually that criticism is coming from folks, men or women, who fancy themselves, you know, modern feminist, uh, cracks me up. It's like, okay, um, I mean, 
these statistics they get hung up on them and it's it's almost like again that sort of dominance game of i'm not trying to understand you i'm trying to uh, tear you down and i do have to say and I'm, i wonder if you've experienced this i i try to be centered i try not to engage uh with somebody and people's presumptions but there are moments where i'm like oh i can feel the anger <laughs> I oh can... my god that's so much <laughs> there's so many times i have actually had to like step out if even like a facebook argument just step away and kind of take some breaths or even do like a really quick meditation session to make sure that I don't let that anger get away. You know, like you're never fully healed. It's not like I meditated and now I never get angry and I'm so calm all the time. It is a constant struggle, but the rewards are so worth it. Absolutely. Well, we need to hit a quick break here. Again, folks, uh, my guest this evening is Brittany Hunter. Uh, She is the associate editor over at the Foundation for Economic Education. And again, the album of the day, wow, I've forgotten it. I don't have it written right in front of me. What is it? Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. Yes, 1991, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Just picked it up on vinyl. I love it. And it has some of the hits that you might know, like Suck My Kiss, Give It Away, Under the Bridge. But this song, when I put it on the other day, really grabbed me. Funky Monks, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Check it out for yourself. We'll be right back. Talk to Brittany some more. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Talk to you soon. Joey Clark. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Again, the album of the day, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Been all over the place, I know. Forgive me. One day I'm listening to Mamma Mia soundtrack. The next day I'm listening to Johnny Taylor and Tyrone Davis. Now the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm all over the place, but it, it's help, it helps center me. It really does. And my guest this evening is Brittany Hunter, Associate Editor of the Foundation for Economic Education. But really, it's a kind of a personal discussion tonight, though. The Jordan Peterson conversations are definitely going on at the fee offices. But I, um, I, I might have done this under false pretenses, Brittany, but I'm going to have to call you out. I think you've joined the idolatrous cult of the lobster. I saw that photo oh. you posted earlier. It's like Wait, which one? No, the, <laughs> oh, with, one. <laughs> with Peterson's, you know, visage in the background and the, the glowing lobster in all its glory. I mean, that's oh, like it's the... amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually funny when I started when I did my Facebook live and I started really getting on board the Jordan B. Peterson train. I have people making me memes now and sending them to me of of Jordan B. Peterson, and each one is weirder than the next. That one took the cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's strange, and memes can be glorious. But uh, we've been talking about, and I believe y'all are the office doing a sort of book club about Jordan Peterson's new book, 12 Rules for Life. I was telling you off air, having watched a lot in like 40 plus hours of his lectures when I was sick, 
that uh, a lot of this is repetition for me, but that's good. And uh, each rule is a chapter for folks who haven't looked over the book. And I want to start with this. What chapter, what rule was the one that resonated with you the most? Yeah, that would be rule seven. Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Mm. That one was just, uh, and a lot of it actually has to do with my journey into politics when I became a libertarian. That is when I first started getting some direction in my life. And that was because for the first time I had purpose and I had meaning. So personally, that resonated with me because I, I've lived it, right? I've seen that. And once I felt, filled my life with that, slowly everything else kind of fell into place. Okay. Well, I I was actually having a conversation with somebody about that rule this morning. That, really? Uh, yeah, I'll put it this way, because I do share a lot, but I don't share everything with the audience. I'll leave y'all wanting more. Thank you very much. <laughs> it is my life, after all. And uh, I was, essentially, the question was, are we pursuing something meaningful or something expedient? I'll just leave it at that. But it was a good discussion, and this is why I like Jordan Peterson so much. Um, it, it really makes you think. And, you know, I, I had a moment like that uh, doing radio. Uh, at least I can relate to what you just said about politics. Like, oh, this, when I first read, actually, The Fountainhead, not Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Shrugged's too long. But The Fountainhead. Too long. <laughs> way too long. Ein, I get it, Ein. You're reminding me of nuns. <laughs> Stop hitting me with the ruler. Goodness, lady. Um, but, no, I, I remember kind of falling in love with liberty. That's how I would literally put it. Also, I'm falling in love with you know, my favorite artists, whether Led Zeppelin or Prince. Or, uh, but recently, doing a radio show every day, uh, I've realized there are some shows uh, that are crap that I had to admit one night, folks, I'm done. I have 15 minutes left, left and I'm going to fill time, uh, call. Um, and then there are some shows where it's just in the zone. You're not even thinking. You're just reacting. I would say this show's closer to that one, but we still have like 22 minutes left, so it could go wrong, Brittany. But <laughs> there is that, what Peterson talks about, that meaningful moment. You know, and I've had these in life, and when I was younger, I did describe it as almost being one with God or like in the presence of God, like that moment where everything just feels right and, and sound, like you're doing the right thing. And he's essentially, let's unpack this for folks a little bit, saying, trust your emotions, trust your instincts, that they're often right and inform you what is meaningful and what is not. Yeah, and that you know what to do, right? You know what you're supposed to do. I think all of us do. All of us know that we should keep our house clean. All, all of us know that we should be nice to people unless there's a real reason not to be. It's just hard. We don't want it. And I think the same thing has to do with that was kind of relying on ourselves, relying on once we have that meaning, what does that mean? You know, what, what, what do we do with it? And I think you, you hit it on the head is you got to trust your instincts on that one. Well, and it's something that um, Peterson gets knocked for. And I've talked with the audience about being an atheist, uh, but I'd never meant that in like the Dawkins, Sam Harris way. The closest I got to is Hitchens because I'm a sucker for his rhetoric. But even Hitchens said, I think what a lot of atheists are lacking is uh, is the transcendent, reaching for it. And I think that came from Hitchens loving Anglican hymns he was raised with, loving poetry, and that th those things are incredibly important. And when I reach for the deeper meanings in life, I often use music as a vehicle, uh, often use poetry. I might even use intoxicants of some sort at times, responsibly, of course. <laughs> responsibly, of course. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but 
there is something about uh, being secular, so to speak, and then saying, but I, I, I see that there might be a transcendent reality, or I might have seen heaven or hell on earth. It confuses people when I start talking that way after saying I'm an atheist. Um, I don't know what necessarily your experience is with uh, spiritual matters, but in this day and age where either you're in a certain organized religion or you seem to be in a secular camp, I, I think it's incredibly important to say, now these bigger stories, these stories, whether Disney movies in our childhood or a mythology that sort of is always in the culture, they point at something bigger than just figurative truth. Absolutely. It's, it's the union archetype, right? It's, it's the, the hero's journey, even. It's go to Joseph Campbell. It's, we're, all, we're all heroes in our own story, right? But, right. but all these, these different symbols and these different characters have meaning, even if you don't necessarily believe in them. I, I myself grew up Mormon, and I consider myself more agnostic. I always kind of joke it's an insurance policy, just in case. <laughs> but I don't, I'm not, I'm not a part of any organized religion. I kind of view uh, religion as, as I view politics. Like I'd rather just stay out of it. Right. <laughs> but I see so much value in allegory because I think that the Bible is filled with, with union archetypes and, and, and the heroes and the villains. And there's so much to be taken from that, right? Like you said, music, poetry, we learn by stories. My job as a writer is to tell you a story that intrigues you enough to keep reading. And that's how we learn as human beings. We learn through stories. Well, and it's helpful to think of your own life that way. And that's why your piece you posted on Medium, I think, was so good, is that it it, it was a, a taste, a snapshot of your own journey. Um, and there are so many different journeys people go through. And that's actually where I'm going uh, with telling my own. But also, I want to bring on more people like yourself who have just different experiences who have gone through something tragic or something difficult, and it uh, it changes you, and hopefully it changes you for the better. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you let it, right? That's kind of the beauty of it is how it changes you is completely in your control. There's actually, there's another book I'm reading called, it's Dale Carnegie's um, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Hmm. And there's a beautiful story in there about a guy who was in a gulag. Obviously, he did nothing to be put in there aside from just being on the wrong side of politics. But when he was in there, he said, what did I do to, to contribute to this suffering and how can I make it better? And that hit me because I'm like, imagine being in a gulag and saying, all right, maybe this isn't my fault, but, but how am I contributing to my suffering right now and how can I change it? And that, that was powerful because if someone in that situation can do it, then anybody can do it. Well, and something I had to realize, um, and I think a lot of people who, especially peaceful people, don't like getting in fights, who uh, kind of shy away from conflict, and that often is libertarian. So you wouldn't think it from reading some comment sections. <laughs> you really wouldn't. <laughs> right. Uh, but I had to realize you, if you're maybe you're not tyrannical towards others, but if you're tyrannical towards yourself and you're constantly beating yourself up, that, that just limits you and can maybe send you into the depths of hell. You know, there's a really powerful exercise. Um, I think I kind of mentioned it before. I really like Yoon as a, I, think, I hope I'm saying that right, as a depth psychologist. Hmm. But he talks about the shadow self and like that we all have the dark side, right? I think Jordan B. Peterson talks about this as well. Yeah. But one of the exercises he suggests is to write a letter to someone you're mad at. And then after you're done writing that letter, replace their name with your own name and see how much of that applies to you. And when I did that, it was like, oh, <laughs> it all applied to me. And I realized that I was like angry at this person because they were displaying the things about me I don't like. Right. And it was actually similarities. 
Yeah, you recognize, and for some reason, where people are more prone to see mistakes or inconsistencies in others rather than themselves. And I've noticed that, you know, politically speaking, that I will often go, okay, there's a lot, it's a target-rich environment to call out lies and hypocrisy in the political spectrum. And it's interesting to me that I learn more about people when they, who they're calling out. Like, okay, why is that touching you so much uh, on an emotional level often? And uh, hopefully it rises to more of a, a rational argument, but it, it's uh, it's an important thing. But I, I forgot to ask. I asked the one that the chapter, the rule that resonated with you most. But what chapter, what rule in Twelve Rules for Life did you go? Oh, come on, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. And I had some. I have some opinions on this. So it was rule. Where is it? Rule number five: Don't let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Mm. Um, now, again, I don't have children. I was a teacher, so I, and I do come from a family where I have nine siblings and, like, 30 nieces and nephews. I, I'm around kids a lot, but I am not a parent. But he was very kind of, like, punish them hard, discipline them hard. I tend to lean more towards a peaceful parenting, unschooling mindset. Um, and so it was a little, it was a little offensive to me. I don't want to use that word. <laughs> but, like, there was one line where he's like, oh, yeah, just flick your kids on the fingers if they're doing something annoying. And I'm like, mm, yeah. Yeah. I choose to not use violence against children. <laughs> That's just me. Um, so I know a few people in our office. That was the chapter that made that made us kind of like, all right, like we knew that there was going to be some stuff we didn't agree with. This is one of them. He somewhat redeems himself in rule, I think it's 11. Oh, rule 12. No, no, rule 11. Don't bother children when they are skateboarding. Okay. So yes. he does kind of redeem himself as more of like a let kids do what they're going to do as long as they're not harming anybody. But, yeah, the, the, the chapter on, on children was a little weird. Yeah, and that's the one, uh, again, critique of, of Peterson. And actually, I told you off air, I had a, a local lawyer here uh, who's gone through a renewal himself. He heard me talking about, you know, my spiritual beliefs or lack thereof or where I'm going in that regard. And he, he said, I think you sound like a young Tolstoy. I'm like, wait, I'm going to talk to our, our Gandhi of our age and influence him? Thanks, man. <laughs> You're really playing into my megalomania here. And, uh, but he gave me a book called A Confession. It's a fairly short book, though it is very dense. Um, it, great writing by Tolstoy. And he goes through how he finds life to just be this sick joke and there's not much you can do with it he uses an old russian fable it's almost like a dream where you're being chased through the woods by a beast and you see a well in a clearing so you hop into the well but when you look down at the bottom of the well there's a dragon that's jaws are wide open <laughs> waiting to embrace you so you hang on for dear life from a twig but at the base of the twig are two mice nibbling 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 and so you're worried about falling into the dragon's jaws but you're worried about the beast outside but there's a little leaf with some honey on it and you can lick the honey of life and you know Tolstoy said something to the effect of I couldn't lick the honey of life anymore I had to, I just concluded that I had to kill myself but I was too much of a coward and it's the same th maybe it's because Peterson has read a lot of that stuff uh, yeah. a lot of Russians in particular and it's an issue I have with Ayn Rand as well it's, it's a little bleak um, sometimes the, the starting point is a bit bleak and I think it bleeds in somewhat with Peterson. It goes back to our, our friendly critique of him calling, say, a transgender yeah. activist Mao. 
Yeah, and you and I had actually talked about this a little bit, I think, in an earlier one of my posts about um, the life is suffering premise. Yes. Which which I, I think I told you I used to hate and now I like fully embrace. But I, I completely understand the critiques of it because, well, when it's bleak, yeah. it's, it's pretty Russian in itself, right? Like, <laughs> life is suffering, deal with it. Um, but I guess for me, it's helped to change my expectation of what life is because I think, um, especially just in the culture I grew up in, I was kind of raised to be taught that once you get married, life is perfect, mm. that life is happy. And so I guess my premise started differently. So I was kind of jaded when this happened. I did what I was supposed to do and I got married and it wasn't happiness, right? Things weren't great. And so I'm thinking like, what did I do wrong? You know, what's going on? But when I've learned to take kind of life from a different like axiom to say like, okay, life is suffering. What am I going to do about it? That has helped me be far more proactive in making my life happier, making my, my, you know, my life better. Right. Well, and if you were Montgomery, I would suggest I interviewed a young woman, uh, Sarah Thornton. Uh, she runs a local playhouse here and they're putting on starting tonight. So folks go check it out. Uh, Ibsen's A Doll's House, which is... Oh, I know this play. My friends just put it on in Utah, actually, yeah. Nice, yeah, and it was a fascinating discussion about... That That fascinates me, that once you have the marriage and the white picket fence, or at least the nice skyline apartment, whatever it is the material ideal with the perfect family is, that life's going to be great, but I, I tend to agree with that, and the, the slight... That, life won't necessarily be perfect there's there's pitfalls there's potential suffering and tragedy around every corner and it's something oscar wilde wrote in, in de profundis where he said that the secret of life is suffering it's not life is ah. but the secret Ooh, of i it. like that and it's a uh, very i think profound because like i told you i think on uh, the book of faces i uh, i had an issue where I felt like I always had to be uh, suffering and, and putting unnecessary struggles in front of me. It's one thing to face the, the struggles that uh, you know occur, the beasts that chase you, and dealing with you know death and whatnot. But it's another thing to go, well, in order to be a meaningful person, before I go and do this workout, let's put on a heavy coat and a ball and chain. Like, it, I mean, it, <laughs> setting up unnecessary suffering for yourself, I, I think, is a dangerous road to go down. And it took my, my puppy, and this is why I call him the Red and Fuzzy Big Booty Buddha, giving me a kiss to wake me up. It's like, there, there are sweet <laughs> things in life that are very simple. The truth, again, to quote Wild, is rarely pure and never simple. But sometimes you find those pure ones, and uh, maybe it's the, the Ayn Rand in me. To be heroic, the world is generally benevolent. So I, this may be why I need to get Pearson on himself and uh, put his feet to the fire. Uh, but Yeah, and I feel like they're kind of not mutually exclusive. Like, I know there's a great story. Peterson told his own version of this, but that I was told in elementary school about a, a kid that falls off a mountain on a camping trip and, like, is like a bush catches him, like, death is coming, but he sees a strawberry. He, like, lands on a strawberry. I don't know, a bush. I don't even know. Strawberries don't grow in a bush. I don't know what it was. Raspberry <laughs> bush. Some berry bush. And while he's sitting there fighting for his life, he sits and he's like, I'm going to eat some berries. And he just sits and he enjoys the berries. And that was the lesson of the story, right? Like, yes, right. life is suffering, but look at all the good things that are here. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie Pirate Radio, um, which it's it's funny. He's like a 16, 17-year-old kid. Is this the Christian Slater movie? No, it's, uh, it's okay. the guy did love actually, but it's the premise of it is that rock and roll is banned in England. But there's one boat 
that sails in international waters that broadcast in true 60s rock and roll. And they're all DJs on this boat, have different studios, and they're re- li- really living up the, the 60s swinger, you know, free love, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. And this one kid is sent to go live on this boat by his mama. It doesn't want anything to do with him. And there's this moment where the the head of the boat, the captain, says, I'm going to set you up with my lovely niece uh, by, by Bill Nye. Um, love that guy. And uh, <laughs> and the guy thinks he's a virgin. He, does, he you know He's very nervous. He's awkward. He thinks he's going to hook up with the niece because they're getting along and they're hitting it off. And so he runs to go find a prophylactic. And when he comes back, she's in bed with another DJ. Ooh. So he's completely heartbroken, distraught. I can remember being an awkward teenager where I put stuff on a pedestal and you don't need to. And uh, and so there's this great single camera scene after he's all down in the dumps where he's sitting on a, a bench by himself, drooping low. He's he's like a, a defeated lobster whose brain has disintegrated and he's, <laughs> he's now lower on the totem pole. He's just slouching and depressed. And... Then into the frame comes one friend, sets down a big glass of milk. Then into the frame walks another person, sits down on the other side of him, puts down a big plate of cookies. And they kind of nudge him to look at it, like, leave me alone. None of this is spoken. It's just all physical acting. So the guys on either side of him grab the milk, grab the cookies, start eating themselves. And he looks at them, and he finally, maybe David Gornoski's onto something with we like to mimic each other. Uh, <laughs> and so he finally, reluctantly, kind of like, oh, all right, grabs a cookie, starts eating it, and smiles. And it, it, Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's like the, the Barry story. It, there are great things in this world. And I, I kind of want to make a turn here. Um, what are some of the pick-me-ups for you in life? I know... You know, music does a plays a huge part. In me sometimes I'll binge watch shows. What? Where do you find That's kind of the music? Time? Music. Music. So I, I've taken I took twenty five years of voice lessons. So both both listening and performing, singing to me is very very therapeutic. I'm one of those weird theater kids that will like sit in the dark and sing show tunes when I'm sad to cheer myself up. But also, I really like um, like going to see live DJs. I really like EDM. Mm. And that has been so integral to my healing process. And I know it sounds weird, but but there's something about just getting getting into the music and having everyone around you just so into it, watching the DJ be into it, that that has been such a pick-me-up and such a thing I look forward to. Um, so that's been huge. Well, and I haven't been to many EDM festivals. I actually interviewed a couple. Um, the guy who... Uh, once lived in Montgomery, moved to Tampa. He met this young girl, Kaylee. Michael met Kaylee. It was this serendipitous moment where he's doing an open mic for comedy. And now they travel the country. He writes, she takes photographs, and they just go to EDM festivals and other all sorts of music festivals. And the way that... It, I haven't been to a lot, but the way they described it, it really seemed like it could be a very transcendent experience. It could be you take a little too much of some intoxicant and the night goes badly. <laughs> but it also seems like it, it is this almost ritualistic thing where the whole crowd becomes one and they're being led by the DJ. It, uh, yes, but while also being so individualistic, right? That's mm. why it's beautiful. Like everyone is in different costumes or whatever they choose and they're all dancing in weird ways, but they're still going with the beat of the DJ. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. 
Yeah. It, who would you say I should check out in terms of EDM these days? Yeah, Above and Beyond is one of my go-tos, and they just dropped a new album, Common Ground. I'm actually going to be seeing them next month. Um, I also really like hip-hop and like jazz, and so I like when EDM incorporates those. Big Gigantic I'm going to see on Saturday. They are amazing. They're a duo. Um, One guy drums, the other one does the actual DJing, and then we'll pick up a saxophone and just start like, you know, playing it like it's nobody's business. So really good show to watch and to listen to. Awesome, awesome. And I took your advice from last time. I listened to Jay-Z's latest album that came out last year. <laughs> and it's awesome. Um, it's, it's good. It's really good. Now, I wanted Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love to win the Grammy, but that didn't work out. Bruno Mars took it from all of us. That's right, he did. No, it's a great album. I went back and listened to it, and uh, I, I like Bruno. He's a little... I'm, I'm not a player like that. I'm not, like, I can't perform like that. So uh, the songs don't, I don't exactly, I don't know, relate, I think is the word yeah, I was searching yeah. for there. <laughs> but it's fun. And, you know, I like that over top, like, Versace on the floor. It's great stuff. Um, and I'm wondering, there are other pick-me-ups out there. Um, I'm a sublime pick-me-ups. Uh, you know, I was thinking of, what is it, Space Oddity by David Bowie. And instead of, uh, for here am I sitting in a tin can, for here am I sitting in a Tesla, <laughs> far above the world. That, did you see that photo? I saw that photo. It's incredible. <laughs> it's remarkable what, it's those moments, you know, I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. And Sorkin, whether it was Sports Night, this first show, or West Wing, or a newsroom, he has these moments I like to refer to as the look at what we can do moments. And, uh, you know, in Sports Night, it was one guy who was told he would never walk again, breaking the marathon record, and somebody reaching the peak of Everest in record time, uh, somebody, you know, reaching into space in West Wing. I, I really look forward to those moments. They don't always come around. No, but they bring humanity together. And look at the eclipse that happened earlier this year. I mean, I've never seen people come together like that over something that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it really was. And everyone was getting along, and it was really, really cool to see that. Well, and I I think I saw a video the other day of a guy who took a flight just to see the eclipse, like, up close and film it. He was freaking out. Like, I'm like, dude, uh, those sounds shouldn't be broadcast. (laughs) <laughs> Unless you are like Bruno Mars or Prince. Like, goodness. I never saw somebody get so excited over an eclipse. But you're right. There, it's these events that just make you sit back. And it's not like, oh, I'm so small and significant. It's like, look at how incredible the world is if you take a moment to realize our part in it. Uh, absolutely. It's giving me chills. It's, um, it's well, that's... That's what we shoot for here, Brittany. That and, and neurotic <laughs> conversations, me talking about my insecurities and, you know, that's what I shoot for here. But we're out of time. We're all well, out of time. Well, it was such a pleasure to be with you tonight. Yeah, it was absolutely great. And um, I'm sure there's more coming out at Fee and more on your personal blog at Medium. Folks just search Brittany Hunter, Medium, and Fee. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Again, thank you for joining me tonight, and folks, check out Brittany's work. Um, she's going on her own journey, and uh, I think that's where a lot of folks are, especially folks who have come from the political side of things. Uh, we're looking to improve our own, get our own house in order before uh, criticizing things first, and it's a trend I welcome no matter where you come from. So, Brittany, have a wonderful night. 
We thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I'll talk to you all tomorrow night. I think Mr. Spotlow's going to be in. Should be a lot of fun. We're going to have fun on Friday. Talk to you all then.